are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Have you been upset? Or you've lost sleep over something that you have absolutely no control over. Or perhaps you worry and you stew over something that just never ever materialized. You know, it says that 96% of the things that we really worry about never come into fruition. Isn't that amazing? We just seem to be a people who like to worry about things. Trusting God is simply believing that he loves you. That he is good He has the power to help you, he wants to help you, and he's going to help you. See, as Christians, we're called believers, but I wonder if there's more times where we're like unbelieving believers. We trust our friends, we trust the bank, we trust the stock market, we trust the government more than we trust God and his word. John 15 says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we are experiencing fears and worries, cares and frustrations as believers, we need to use this as a gauge in our lives. The bell rings and of of warning, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, hey, you know what? Am I trusting in God here? Again, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast my cares, cast my anxieties upon him, for he cares for us. Do you know that God cares for you? Man, there's, there's peace in that right there. To know that God is crazy about each one of us, whether we've lived to our full potential or whether we haven't. His love for us is never failing. It's everlasting. It's It's like when you're driving down the road and that little light goes off on your car. You know, I've learned that the orange ones, don't worry about it, just ignore them. But the red ones, they mean stop. Because this is serious. Don't you wish we had those orange and red gauges in our lives? I think we do. When we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us, like, stop. Don't go on any farther there. This is going to lead to pain. But do we heed those warnings? Or we just go, I can do what I want. I remember Cindy and I were driving to Calgary from Edmonton down Highway 2. And it was probably around, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. It was dark. And all of a sudden, one of those lights came on the car. And I'm not, a, I'm not a handy guy. I'm just handsome. You know, like, just the way it is. And, and when it went on, I'm just like, oh, the light just popped on. She's, oh, yeah, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's just keep going. And as we kept going, I looked in my mirror, and I had a big truck behind me. And it looked like he was flashing his lights at me, like, flash, 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 flash. And I'm like... Maybe I should pull over and just see what's happening. And I, and I don't think that he was flashing at me. I think it was just so dark. And my, my rad had run out of water. And, and it was just smoking so bad that when you look in your rearview mirror, again, it was dark. All you saw was fog just kind of went through the, the, the vehicle. And we pulled into this farmer's uh, yard and uh, knocked at his door. And I said, listen, I got, a, I got a light on my car and I don't know what it means. Can you come out and take a look at it? So he came out and realized that a rad hose had broke, and he simply just took his knife and cut the hose a little bit sharp, where, uh, shorter where it broke, rehooked it up, filled it up with water, says, you're good to go, and sure enough, the light went off. It was a simple thing. All he had to do was snip, tie, fill. And I think there's so many times that we need to snip, tie, and fill. You know, every single day, Different demands are placed upon us, and every single day we leak as believers. And we need to have that, those energy tanks filled up time and time and time again. And when we just come on Sundays to church, and it's kind of like we crawl in here, it's like, this is my service, this is what I need. I don't know how people do that. We need to be filled every single day with the presence of God. We need that. Our children need us as parents to be filled in the presence of God because as we leak out with every single spilling, there needs to be a constant filling. 
Because if not, our reserve tanks, and this is one of those things that I learned in Crest, that, like, and this isn't a spiritual thing, this is just talking about uh, um, when we sleep at night and we have that eight hours of sleep, our energy tanks are, 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 uh, are filled up again. But when we start burning the candle at both ends, every one of us have a reserve tank. And we start to dig down and, and pour into that reserve energy level. But the problem with that is the energy, that reserve tank takes longer to fill. See, the, the eight-hour sleep is like a trickle charge. It's just like, boom, it fills up that energy that we normally use from day to day. But once we start burning the candle at both ends and it starts going into our uh, reserve tanks, we start to get into a dangerous place because that, that there takes time of just relaxation and rest and peace for that, for that small, slow charge to be able to fill up again. And if we continue to burn the candle at both ends time and time again and ignore it, then we're heading for burnout and crash. That's like our spiritual walk as well. To be in that place where we're like, Holy Spirit, I need to be filled today. I need to be abiding in the vine. I need to press into the presence of God. For Lord, I know that you have things for me every single day. We can develop habits of trusting in our own abilities, our own strengths, that will take us through many things, but we will be constantly dipping deep down into the reserves, and eventually we will bring ourselves to that place of utter exhaustion. Proverbs 3 Five to six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. When you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, the spirit of God comes alive inside of you. This is one of the greatest blessings of salvation. You don't have to go through someone else to get to God. He dwells in our heart and we learn to listen to his voice. The best way to hear from God and know how he wants you to live is to know what the Bible says, his word. His word says God's word gives us wisdom, and as we study the Bible, our, not, our minds become renewed. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, perfect, and pleasing. So we no longer just think the way the world thinks. We can think the way that God thinks. See, every one of us in this room is going to come to a crossroad in life, a place where we have the option to listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us or partner with the Father of lies. <laughs> when we know who we are in Christ, there's power in that because you know what? The truth of the matter is, is the enemy doesn't fight fair. He uses any tactic to take you out and in this new year, 2016, it's time not to just know about the soap, but it's time to apply it. See, the enemy, the Bible says the enemy is the father of lies. That means that he cannot tell truths. Now, there's lies and partial truths because it's the partial truths are the ones that often get us because it's like, yeah, well, there's truth in that. You know what? You're, you're not good enough. Yeah, you know, I don't feel like I am good enough. Our our robes of righteousness are like filth. But when we take the Lord's righteousness and place that upon us, all of a sudden we're that new creation where we have value because of what Christ did on the cross for us. But we need to come into that understanding of, Lord, when the enemy starts to whisper those lies into my ear, what is the truth that you're speaking? Because if all of a sudden we start to listen to the lies that are being spoken, we are going to get farther and farther and farther away to what God has for us. Then all of a sudden we hit this wall and we're like, how did I ever get here? There are going to be circumstances and situations that come our way that are completely out of our control. And then we hit that and it's like, how did that happen? Lord, how do I handle this? The Lord is preparing you right now for the future. And when we go through trials and these tribulations and these difficult times, the Bible tells us to rejoice because God knows everything. He knows the future. He knows what's coming our way. So when these trials happen, those during those trials is when we learn to trust in God, where we can stand during those difficult seasons and say, you know what, God? A few years ago, this would have rocked my world. But God, I'm going to stand firm today knowing that, Lord, I trust you with everything. God, you are absolutely amazing. 
when we know who we are in Christ, there's power in that. I would encourage every one of us this year to study Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 to 8. Meditate upon it. Every day, stick it up on your fridge. Read it and learn what it says. Say, God, what are you teaching me and my family about Ephesians 6 this year? God, what do you want me to grasp from this verse? Here it is. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against, evils, uh, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after your battle, you'll be standing firm, stand your ground, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For the shoes, put on the peace that come from good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I really believe that that is the verse for Cold Lake this year. That God wants us to really, as a people, understand spiritual warfare and understand what he's calling us to so we can stand firm when the enemy, uh, when the enemy attacks. We can stand firm, uh, dressed fully in the armor of God because I think so many times we as believers run into the battle completely naked. And the Lord's like, not this year. This year we have to realize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but principalities. You know, if all of a sudden I have a problem with somebody, it is so easy to become offended, isn't it? And it's so easy to become offended with that person where all of a sudden I see them on the street and I want to walk to the other side because I just don't want to see their face. They bother me. Or I just don't want conflict to happen. Or I just don't want them to, it's like you're, 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 you're walking in so easy and you're like, oh, I got, a, got my list. And you go down the, the frozen food aisle and they're there and you're like, I'll get that at the end. And you just go down to the produce section instead, Right? You're laughing because you've done it. <laughs> but we've got to walk in that place where we're like, Lord, your word says that I'm not battling that person. But there's a principality that is at work there. And Lord, it just causes something to rise up in me. And Lord Jesus, I just pray, God, that Lord, that you would teach me how to do spiritual warfare. Because you know what? Maybe, just maybe that person has been placed in our way to be able to teach us to walk and experience grace. Dennis Weedrick always calls them grace testers. And we've all experienced grace testers, haven't we? You know, a story I've shared here before, but uh, I'll share it again because it's a good one. I remember I was in Edmonton, and uh, I was getting ready to lead worship. And uh, I, was, I, I came in, in the foyer, and I heard this guy in the foyer talking. So it's Sunday morning, pre-service, and he's talking, and he is mad. And he's got, got a few people around him, and he's like, you know what? My wife was in the hospital. She's sick, and not one person from this church, not one person went to see them. Not even a pastor went to visit my wife. And I just happened to hear it, and I turned to him. I said, listen, I, I overheard what you said there, and that's not true. He's like, what do you mean it's not true? I said, Pastor Merrill went there yesterday, because I know, because he told me he was going, and I know that he went. He's like, oh. So somebody did go and visit my wife? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh. I said, so are we cool? He goes, yeah, we're cool. I say, okay, good. He goes, did you see what you just did? I'm like, what? He goes, you winked at me. I'm like, so? He goes, you know what the Bible says about people who wink? I'm like, no. He's like, well, you should. You're the pastor. I'm like, look, man, I'm sorry. It just doesn't stick out to me. What's it say? He goes, well, you got to figure it out. So I'm like, he goes, but let me tell you, it says that you're evil. You are an evil man. I'm like, okay, well, I got to go lead worship right now. So can we discuss this later? So I went up on stage and I led worship the whole time leading worship thinking I'm evil. I'm leading people and they're drinking from a polluted, dirty well right now because I'm an evil, evil, wicked person. 
And then as soon as it was done, I made a beeline into my office, and I went out of my Bible program, and I'm, I typed in winking, and I found the scripture. There's a scripture in Proverbs that basically says this. This is the Lancetes paraphrase version. That if you see somebody do something wrong, and you wink at them, you're just as guilty as that person. And I'm like, that doesn't say that I'm evil. So I went up to him afterwards. I said, hey, listen, I, I looked up that, that verse, and, and, I, and here's what it means. It means this. And he says, no, it doesn't. It means you're evil, and you are an evil person. You are a wolf in sheep's clothing, and you're here to lead the people astray. And you're, I'm just like, wow. And then he doesn't show up for a few weeks, and he comes back, and he makes a beeline for me. He says, do you realize that I haven't been here for a few weeks? I'm like, yes, it was wonderful. He says, do you know why I wasn't here? I said, I got a good guess. I'm evil. He's like, that's right. He's like, do you want to go for coffee and talk about it? I'm like, no, I don't. I told you what the scripture said. It means this. If you want to think I'm evil, then you know what? You've got to talk to God about it and pray for me because I can use all the prayer I can get, right? A grace tester. Something that comes up in our life where I could either hate that guy and ignore him or I can walk in that place. I'm like, God, there's a misunderstanding here. There's something there that is life that is causing him to think that I'm evil. And Lord, the truth of the matter is, is I don't always get it right, but I'm a son of God. And Lord, I love you with all my heart. And Lord, just help me to be able to show grace during this time and not hold anger or bitterness towards this brother. We need to walk in that place. We need to put on the armor of God. Years ago, as I was meditating upon this scripture, I really got to the place where I really felt that the Lord was saying, Lance, every single day, you need to put on the, the, the armor of God. You need to just kind of go through that and say, Lord, today, I want to make sure that my shield of faith is, is, is strong and ready. God, I need to put on the helm of salvation. I need to place the belt of truth around me. Lord, I need to, I need to know your word. Because, Lord, if not, I can go to a really dark place. And all of a sudden, it's like, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen, God? I don't know about you. Have you been to a dark place? It's not nice. Because in that dark place, you're just like, Lord, not only how did I get here, but will I ever get out? Because that pit seems to be so deep. And we start to all of a sudden start to think thoughts like, Lord, maybe it'd be better for everybody if I wasn't here. We know that suicide is very high in this area. We know that there's a spirit and his name is suicide. His name is death. And again, the enemy does not fight fair. He will use past hurts, past woundings. He will use generational things. He will use things that are completely out of our control to derail us, to take our eyes off of Christ and focus on the problem, on the situation, and focus take our focus off of everything but the Lord. You know, you guys are in for a real special treat today. Um, I'm going to invite Kevin up. Kevin Bureau is one of the Bureau's sons, uh, Keith's and Joy uh, and uh, Mark's, Mark's son and Keith's brother. And, um, and uh, Keith and I were, were speaking about Kevin and sort of the, some of the things that Kevin was, was dealing with in his life. And, um, and uh, Kevin was going to come and, uh, welcome Kevin, he was going to come and, and be part of our service today. And I asked him if he would come and share his testimony. And uh, he gave me a link to his church in Edmonton where he got to share his story three times and they have uh, three services going on and man, that must have been pretty, pretty tiring. But this is a very fresh story. Happened uh, a couple months ago, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, hello. Yeah, about uh, five, six weeks ago. Five, six weeks ago. And with it being that fresh, for you to be able to be, with, is this your fourth time sharing the testimony? Uh publicly in a church setting, I guess, yeah. Okay. But I've shared it to lots of people kind of here and there. See, what I absolutely love about that is every single one of us have a testimony. But so many times we just don't want to share it because we don't like speaking in front of public, in public or we don't like, um, we don't want people to know things about us. 
But yet, you're going to find that when you hear this, when you hear a story that is going to minister to you in such a public, powerful way, because the Holy Spirit uses vulnerability to be able to really impact us where we are. So, bro, I honor you, and, and thank you so much for being willing to share that so close to home. You know, uh, your, your story starts in grade three, and, uh, and you grew up, I, I assume, in uh, Pierce Land area there, so uh, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so <clears throat> obviously I'm in my 30s, so we're not going to be here for hours. I'll shorten it down. Grade three is a long time ago. But uh, <clears throat> so I guess it started in, uh, in grade three. <clears throat> I went through kindergarten to, to grade three having friends and, and uh, being well-liked by uh, my classmates and I'm sure, as all of you know, of Pierce Land, it's not exactly the biggest uh, booming metropolis around. So it's small. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> we, uh, so I, I grew up under the Pentecostal belief um, as far as long as I can remember. And one day at school, um, my, one of my good friends at the time, came to school and, and uh, his parents had told him that, uh, well, we go to this church that uh, is a little crazy. And because they came from, uh, Pierce Land was, at that time, was largely made up of, of Catholic background. <clears throat> so the kind of the belief, and it, it being back in the 80s, um, not quite the same understanding of what we actually believe. So the children or the kids in, in my grade at that time were told pretty much that I was, that I came from a, a, a family of devil worshipers, which is kind of a little bit the opposite. Um, but as kids, they, that's what they believe. <clears throat> so from that day forward, virtually had no friends whatsoever. Um, very much cast out of a lot of the, the groups and, and ridiculed quite a bit. Um, really, the only true friends I had growing up were Keith and, <clears throat> and you guys know Dana Harrison and my other little brother Brent um, and then some neighbor kids, but that's it. Like, so when I would go to school, during school, really had no friends, right? I just kind of by myself all the time and then went all the way through to grade 12 like that. You know, um, just having friendship, especially for, for kids, is just so important. It's just, you know, it really does uh, shape who you are. And, and that would have left a, a scar for sure, a, a wounding in there. And then all of a sudden we fast forward to... to Modern day, I guess we fast forward to uh, to your time there, and uh, and the enemy has a way of just sort of uh, taking the past hurts and amplifying them in in present day uh, senses. Yeah, <clears throat> so I, I believe how my not upbringing, but my school years um, very much forged what I was going to do <laughs> from from then on out. Because I've always, always had that feeling, well, since then, of trying to seek acceptance and trying to be a part of a group and just to be accepted. Um, and then knowing the hurt that people go through um, when they're not. And so then I chose, at that point, I, I always had in my heart where I wanted to help people. So <clears throat> I then went into EMS and I worked on the ambulance for quite a few years. And out of that, um, saw some uh, very interesting things, um, especially the place I worked. It was uh, uh, very intense, um, so to speak. And then I switched into, uh, I got into Edmonton Fire and then worked with Edmonton Fire and still work with Edmonton Fire. And for a while there, 
um, worked as a firefighter, but things got a little bit more difficult to deal with. And uh, I used to be able to, you know, for <laughs> lack of a better word, see a dead body and it wouldn't bother me. Um, it just kind of like uh, water off a duck's back. But it got where I couldn't let it go. So um, <clears throat> about two years ago, uh, yeah, it was about two and a bit years ago, on Father's Day, I was doing a, a fire investigation in the city of Edmonton. And we got this call that came in at 11 o'clock in the morning. And as we pull up, you can still see the smoke pouring out of the eighth floor. And uh, we obviously have the radios on so you can hear things going on. And things aren't going good um, for the people inside. And they end up pulling out, I think it was eight, eight different victims, but only, but out of the eight, um, two didn't make it. And the two that didn't make it was a, it was a very, very, uh, it was the toughest call I've ever dealt with in my life. Um, because on the eighth floor in that suite was a little five-year-old girl. And she, <laughs> she was, uh, at that time, she was the same age as my daughter. So she was five. And she looked very similar to my daughter. And uh, the other one, and in her room, was the same bedspread, the same toys, same ever. It was like walking into my daughter's room. And the other person that passed away that day, which kind of <laughs> really makes me think of God, <laughs> uh, was the father. And the father. <laughs> where it truly um, spoke to the love of a father because he was out and realized that she didn't come out. So he went back in and he didn't make it because he didn't make it to her. But from that day, the other hard part I had to do was watch them pulling her out of the building, coming down the ladder. And you knew it was not good. And then we got word that she didn't make it. And I walked out of the fire investigations truck. And the mom and the brother were standing there. And the first thing they asked me was, how was she? And... I've never been a good liar, and uh, I kind of, I guess, take pride in that. Um, but so at that point, I had to, that was, one, again, one of the hardest things I had to do was tell the mom that her daughter and her husband didn't make it out of the fire alive. Um, and since that day, that was two and some years ago, uh I haven't, there hasn't been a day that's went by that I haven't thought about her or him. And it's kept me up at night. Most nights I went from being able to sleep anywhere really good to um, just staring at the ceiling yeah. and thinking and thinking and thinking and not dealing with what I should have dealt with. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. So my wife told me I should go get help, <laughs> but, you know, me being stubborn, um, I get that from my mom, <laughs> is uh, me being stubborn, no, I can deal with this on my own, and, I don't, and, I, and it was always, <clears throat> I guess, bad way to look at it is I felt weak if I did that and that I, I couldn't deal with this stuff. So everything was building and building and building because I wasn't dealing with it and I thought I was, but I wasn't. And then about five weeks ago or so, 
it was November 13th. We were having a discussion at the fire hall and the fire hall, if the best way to describe a, a fire hall for people that don't know, if, if you've ever watched any of these shows, they're kind of like it, but the what, best way I can describe it to somebody is it's 30 years of high school. So remember, I loved high school. Yeah. It was fun. Um, so yeah, it's they ridicule you and pick on people for the dumbest little things. It's a great brotherhood and sisterhood, but it's just like a family, sure. right? You still get bugged. And I finally started to feel like I belonged and like I was fitting in in the group and where this is where I belonged. And then a few weeks ago, we were uh, sitting there and there was this argument in the fire hall about something very trivial. And they kept asking me for my opinion. And I didn't want to give my opinion because I knew what would happen once I gave my opinion. Because I'm not, I was born at night, but not last night. And so I kept saying, I don't want to give you my opinion. And they kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. Finally, I said, okay, I will tell you my opinion, but please remember it's my opinion. And you asked for my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. So I gave my opinion and I knew what was going to happen. And they got a little upset. And then the one guy said to me, he got very upset and used some colorful language and then said to me, from this day forward, I am going to make your life a living hell. And it brought me right back to grade three. And I was like, really? (laughs) This is happening all over again. And I, like I was saying, I was trying to deal with everything else in life. And it just felt like I had the weight of this building on my shoulders. And nothing was ever really clear. And a lot of self-doubt. And when that was said, that was... There was a crack in the door, and I believe at that point, the door just swung wide open for Satan to do what he wanted to do. And as I'm walking out of the kitchen, I'm thinking, see, you're not good. You tried to do this, and you still can't do it. You're horrible. And those thoughts kept going through my mind all day for the rest of the day, driving home. And as I'm driving home, I just keep having these thoughts. I get home and uh, talking with Kristen, kind of, but not really. And uh, she's noticing that I'm a little bit cold. And she even said to me, why are you so cold? You feel so distant. Like, what's wrong? I said, don't worry about it. I'm fine. It's nothing. And this whole time in my mind, and it, it was the craziest thing because now I look at it and I'm like, how did, how did I even think like that? But my truth at that time, and I know it wasn't the truth, but um, Satan's very, uh, very crafty yeah. in making you believe what he wants you to believe. And his truth to me was if you love your family, if you truly love your family, you will remove yourself from your family. And I know that sounds like, how can you even think that? But it became, to me, out of all the chaos in my head, it became the peace I had to hear. But don't get me wrong, it wasn't of God. But that's what gave me at that time, and it, it gave me that okay that's what I have to do and I accepted it and it was the lie but I accepted that lie and knowing that if I truly love them if I didn't want them to be burdened with any of my crap I was dealing with and the stuff I was putting them through that I had to commit suicide 
It was really what it was. So at that point, I made the decision I had to go for a drive. And the kids were playing upstairs. We live in a two-story, so they were playing upstairs. And Kristen was up there. And I went downstairs, put on my jacket, and Kristen asked me, where am I going? I said, I just got to go. Got to go think. I'm, I just got to go for a drive. And so she said, okay. Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I really am okay. And as they're upstairs, I went down into the basement. Opened the storage room. Went into my gun locker. Opened my gun locker, and I grabbed my shotgun. And I grabbed some shells. And, uh, like, I was at... The scary part is, is I was at peace with this. And it was a decision that was made up. That's what I was doing. And then I come out of the, I lock the gun locker, I come out of the storage room, and then I hear my little guy Caleb come running from the second level. So just that down the stairs. And as he's running, and he's only five years old, I open up the storage room again, I put the gun behind the door and close the door again because I didn't want him to see me with the gun. And he comes down to the basement and he looks at me and there's no, I have no emotion. I'm not crying, nothing, just normal. And he looks at me and I own a a company on the side as well as everything else. So I'm usually in and out of the house. And uh, so he looks at me and he says to me, where are you going, dad? Because I'm wearing my jacket. And. I just said to him, I just have to go for a drive, buddy. It'll be okay. And then he just looked at me. And 10 out of 10 times before that and since then, he's never said what he said again. But usually he says, okay, daddy, I love you. Gives me a hug and takes off and does what he needs to do. But this time, and I believe this was God, this time he looks at me. And he's about, I don't know, from me to your computer away. And he runs up and he grabs my left, my right leg. And he squeezes my right leg as hard as he can. And all he says is, I can't lose you, Daddy. And he just started bawling. And he was crying so hard yeah. that his nose started bleeding. And he just kept bawling. And then, at that point, I kind of really realized what was going on, but then I still had, (laughs) the devil's not just going to let go. So he's still trying to tell me, I have to go do this, I have to go do this. Meanwhile, my daughter comes down, and she gets halfway down the stairs. She doesn't even see us. She comes around the corner, and she's already crying. And she comes and she hugs me. And then I'm sure Kristen thought the Oilers won a game. That's what she hears all his crying. So she comes down the stairs. And she gets down the stairs. And she starts crying. So I should have bought stocks and Kleenex. But she is asking me what's going on. And I said, I just have to go do this. I have to go do this. And she said, Kevin, you're not doing anything. And then she texts my sister. Just, I don't know what she texts, but just in essence, pray for Kevin. So they started praying. And then Kristen and the kids are pretty much wrapped around me. And they start praying. And my eight-year-old daughter starts saying stuff that, wow. Eight-year-olds don't know that. And she is just praying and speaking in exactly. And going through all this. So at that point, I can feel some of it lift. And it's not this dark, cold feeling I have anymore and that feeling of oppression. It's starting to subside but I still have this voice telling me I need to go I need to go do it and then um, 
I went. And uh, so obviously my family's starting to text me and, Kevin, are you okay? And Kristen just answered him back, yeah, he's okay, but keep praying. Because I, I just couldn't talk to anybody. I, I just couldn't at that point. So then the next day, sorry. The next day, uh, I decide I'm going to talk to my family. And uh, I, Keith sent me a text. And the text he sent me was, I understand what you're going through, Kevin. And I was like, no, you don't. So I texted him back and I said, Keith, you have no clue what I'm going through. And he texted me back right away and said, please call me. So I called him. And he was telling me, he goes, nobody really knows this, but he said, eight months ago, Kevin, he said, Joy went for groceries. And he said, he was at home with the girls. The girls were playing downstairs and he was doing dishes. So right there, we know that there is a God. Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, he said he's doing dishes and all of a sudden he feels in this house, it, he just feels this huge sense of oppression. And he feels the, uh, just this darkness and he said this cold, cold, just crazy cold feeling in the house. And he said he knew his house wasn't cold, it was just this feeling he had. And then he said all of a sudden he had thoughts of suicide. And he's like, what is going on? So he started praying and praying and then he put on worship music and he started singing to the top of his lungs in worship music. And he said, all of a sudden that feeling went. And then he kept praying to God and he's like, God, what was that about? And he said, all God said to him was, I'm showing you what they go through, Keith. And he kept praying and he's like, why? Why would you show me what they're going through? And he said, all God said to him was you're going to know soon enough. And when Keith told me that, how he described the heavy, the darkness, those thoughts, the hopeless feeling, it was exactly what I felt. And when he told me that, I realized that, well, God was there my whole life, I chose not to listen when I should have been listening. Eight months before, he was preparing my brother to be able to say what he could say so I would believe it after it happened. And it was just, that's when I really realized that (laughs) you have choices and uh, choosing to hear. And I had no idea what listening to God was to me. And... uh, I'll, I'll be quick, but I'll tell you. So that got me kind of out of this. And then we went to church a week later. So now I'm feeling a little bit better, and I spoke with the, the guys at the fire hall, and that was by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I went back in. I've been off on stress leave since then. And I went back in, and I spoke with them. And... Uh, Speaking to firefighters, that's probably the hardest thing because it's an A-type personality and you're all big, supposed to be strong guys. Don't talk about your feelings. And I started with, it started in grade three and I started bawling. And I never stopped crying for an hour. And every one of them started crying. And every one of them started sharing stories too. But fast forward to the church service the week after everything happened. So we went on the Saturday night and we show up there, and they're singing songs, and they're speaking to me. And then all of a sudden, the one associate pastor goes up, and he goes, oh, so as you guys can tell, we're having a baptism service tonight too. And I'm like, oh, cool. I've been baptized before, so didn't think anything of it. And after everything happened, I started in this uh, devotional that I started a year before, but I only read two days of it and got bored so then stopped reading but this time I'm like okay I'm going to start this devotional over again all that devotional talked about that whole week 
was baptism. Wow. And I'm like, okay, God's just helping me understand why I got baptized and about how the old and the new. And then <laughs> the pastor goes up there and he's like, and in my heart I'm feeling I need to go get baptized. So, of course, me being stubborn, saying, okay, no. yeah, from my mom, thanks, <laughs> is saying, okay, God, if you want me to get baptized, I've been baptized. So Pastor Wade has to say, if you've been baptized and you want to be baptized again, then you're more than welcome to come up. Well, of course, he doesn't say that. So I'm like, see, God, not doing it. And then Wade doesn't stop there. And he goes, or if your heart is pounding out of your chest and your palms are sweating and you're, and I'm like, really? Because my heart, I swear everybody could see it. And I was sweating like crazy. So I'm like, okay, they just turned the heat up. That's all it is. And I got something going on in my heart. That's all it is. So then Wade walks by me and I'm fighting with God. And I'm like, I'm not doing this, God. I can't. I can't do this. I've been baptized. Why are you want me to get baptized? I can't go up in front of people right now. I can't do it. And I'm sitting there arguing with them. And literally, the next thing I really realize I'm doing is because Wade said, meet us at the back outside the sanctuary. I'm standing outside the sanctuary. And I'm like, well, obviously, I needed a drink of water. So I, so I went over to the water fountain. And I started drinking the water. And I'm like, God? Seriously. I'm like, if you want me to get baptized, this is your last chance. Yeah. Because I know. I'm telling them. And I said, if I'm to be baptized, by the time I walk into the sanctuary, Pastor Wade better be standing right in front of me. Because I have a question for him. If he's not standing there, that's the sign that you don't want me to get baptized. So I'm walking along. Who comes right around the corner and is literally standing right in front of me? Pastor Wade. So I was like, all right, God, you win. And then I asked him if I could get baptized or told him my story. And uh, he told me I had to share this story more than just with that. But I didn't do it at the baptism. I did it just last weekend. But the feeling I had when I got baptized, so I went up there. And like I said, I've been baptized before, so it didn't. I got baptized. It was the thing to do. It was, we were all doing it. And, but this time, when I went in, I felt the best way I could verbally describe it is me being in Dad and Keith's fields doing seeding and harvest for, let's say, a week and not having a shower. Not that that happens. I shower. But the best way I could describe it is the showers that I were, were to have before by having the little Sunday feel-goods here and there yeah. is, in essence, my showers before that and what I felt God doing was like a KFC wet nap. Yeah. They smell good, but they only get a little bit off, sure. right? I got a whole body to clean. And <clears throat> when I went in and I came out, the feeling I had, what, and it was incredible, yeah. was a feeling that I came out of the field and I was standing in a hot shower for hours and everything was just pouring, <laughs> pouring off me. And then just being able to sit the other feet like all together was then sitting with mom and dad at their kitchen table having a coffee and just relaxing and just talking. And I have never, by listening to God, by listening to that feeling, I have never felt so much peace yeah. in my life. It's, it's incredible. And that's why I'm here. Do I want to be sitting up here? Uh, to be honest, no. Not at all. But I feel God telling me I have to share this. Yeah. This is not my story. Right. It's God's story. And he just put me, this just happened to me, and I just have to share what he's done and that you can find peace. (laughs) Is Rob here, Gordy? Rob, come on up here. 
play. And, you know, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing because, again, that is the power of the testimony. You know, there's people here who are like, I want to be baptized again, you know? And if that's you, then right in front of you, there's a card. Just fill that card off and drop it off at Action Central afterwards. Say, you know what, Pastor, here's my, here's my number. I want to be baptized, and, and we'll have a baptism service in February. And then other people are here and like, you know what? I've been to that dark place, or I'm in that dark place. And I've always felt that as a Christian that I can't, like, it's impossible for me to get there. Like, like what is happening? And I think we put these, these expectations upon ourselves. But, you know, as Kevin shared about the trauma when he was in grade three and then what happened, at that fire call, which just opened that door, and then he went to his brothers, and his brothers rejected him, that it just said, that's it. It was that straw that, that broke the camel's back. That's what I was talking about, where the enemy doesn't fight fair. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to get under our skin and get us to that place of frustration. And, and what Kevin was talking about is is he formed a belief and the belief was everybody in my family would be better off without me and all of us here have beliefs and, and, and beliefs are based on experiences and if an experience is a bad experience we can form a belief that you know what I've been hurt by men men my belief are men are bad and I could sit here and tell you that that's not true but but you wouldn't listen to what I'm saying because the belief that you've established is men are bad. And, or the belief that you've established is my family would be better off without me. And you really, truly believe that. And the Lord wants to bring freedom to the captives. And he wants to renew our minds. And he wants us to bring us to that place where it's like, son, daughter, this is your new truth. This is your new belief. And, and as he does that, it, it takes our hearts to that place where it's like, Lord, help me to give up all that is not from you, all the lies that I've believed in my life that have established cracks in my door for the enemy one day to be able to push open. Lord, help me to bring them to you to be sealed permanently by the blood of the Lamb. Because Holy Spirit is with us. The Lord says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that he was, he's there in the moments. He's there when those circumstances and situations happen to be able, for us to be able to bring closure to that. You know what, we're a little bit beyond time. I know the kids are, are probably itching to be able to get picked up, but let's just, let's just close the service together. Would you stand with me? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.